Well, good morning, everyone, on this Canada Day weekend here in the Worship Center. If you're in Nickel Hall, good morning to you. If you want to take your Bibles, you can go to James chapter 2. We're going to continue in our series there this morning. James chapter 2, I'm going to be looking at verses 1 to 13. You know, this time that we have in our service to look at God's Word is, I believe, packed with purpose. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about how all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I really appreciate how Eleanor shared in her story the importance of the Word of God, and if we're going to know God better, if we're going to grow in our relationship with God, His Word is going to be very pivotal to that. And 2 Timothy tells us that we should expect, as we expose ourselves to God's Word, it's going to teach us, it's going to train us. But it's also going to reprove us and it's going to correct us. And this morning as we dive into James chapter 2, we're going to see that James is going to correct the believers. And as he does so, if we're open to it, I believe he's going to correct us also. But that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because he wants to do so in order to take us along to be competent. The King James uses the word to be perfect. That's a word of maturity. This is something that James is really keen on. So the correction, the reproof that he's going to give us is for our good. It's for our progress. At Central Heights here for a while, we've, we, uh, we developed a document called What is a Disciple for those of us that are leading so that it would remind us of the Great Commission that we're not just here to do church. We're not just here to meet together on a Sunday morning and, and it has little impact in our lives. We're not, about, we're not a social club, but we are about being disciples and making disciples. We're about being followers of Jesus and making followers of Jesus. And for that to happen, if we're going to progress in that, the Word of God is going to come and it's going to shape us. It's going to train us and teach us, but it's also going to correct us and reprove us. And this morning, James is going to bring up a theme that maybe we haven't given a lot of thought to, but it's important. As we look at James chapter 2, he's going to talk about people and partiality. His overarching verse is verse 1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Partiality is a key word to this whole section of scripture here. It can also be translated prejudice or favoritism. And, and, and that can be quite obvious sometimes when we show favoritism or prejudice. I mean, it hasn't been that many years and, and some of you were were alive and can recall how uh, there was segregation, there was prejudice towards people who were white and people who weren't. Uh, people who were derogatorily called colored would, would not be able to use the same bathroom as a white person. They wouldn't necessarily be able to sit in the same place. There was this discrimination. There was favoritism. And that was just so obvious and we look back now and we go, how could they do that? How could they be that way? But sometimes partiality or favoritism is more subtle. 
So you're in the church foyer and you're saying hello to people and somebody walks up to you that's of less social status and they begin to have a conversation with you and over that person's shoulder you can see someone else, someone of, of, of higher status, someone who's more important in your eyes. And so you don't give the person right in front of you your full attention because, you know, that person, you want to catch their attention. You want to talk to them because you, you see them as more important. Partiality, favoritism. I asked some people that I know, where are the places that we show partiality? And, and uh, their answers were really interesting. One said, great question. I think we give a bit more flexibility, patience, forgiveness to those we like at work. I think teachers can give a slightly better grade to students they appreciate. I think parents can be easier on certain kids and firmer with others. I think we can be more gracious or generous in a restaurant to servers who have better social skills or looks. Another said, we open our homes up to people we feel deserve to be allowed in. We spend time with people who are like us. We are more respectful of time or being punctual to people we deem important. Another said, spending time with those that we feel drawn to or have similar interests or similar economic setting. That's a big one I see in our culture. And this idea of partiality, it, it, it begins early. You see it in the schoolyard, the, the division between the cool and the uncool, and it continues right into adulthood. And you can, you can see the partiality of the cool and uncool in the office hierarchy. Um, I've been in prisons, and, and I've become aware that there's even this partiality in the, in the prisons where, depending on what crime you're committed, there's a pecking order, and people treat one another differently. And, and that's the partiality that, that James is talking about. It's that, this temptation to rank people and then elevate one and, and put another down. And so we're tempted to do that in, in all kinds of different ways. They're ranking people by their, their abilities or by their popularity, by their social status, by their economics, their, their wealth, to rank people by their education, to rank people by their race. We're tempted to do that. And in the church, this is something that James says we should not be doing now, in, in James' scripture, he's going to give us an example of, of his culture and his context. We read in verse 2, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. So get the, you get the picture. It's like somebody walks in, think uh, NBA before the game. You know how they often come in all decked out, glitzy, rings all over the fingers. To, to have a, a gold ring, you, you were wealthy in those days. In fact, people could rent a ring for a special occasion just to demonstrate some kind of opulence or that you might have social status. So think of a person, he's come into the assembly or the, the church gathering, if you will, and, and as people see them, they coddle all over him because this person has the potential for influence and so they give them the prime seating but someone comes in that's obviously poor shabby clothing and and it's just like wherever just find a place will you please sit down James says no this is this is not right and he's going to correct them on partiality 
And as he does so, he's going to be very thorough. So as we look at this passage, we're going to see three things that he points out. First of all, partiality is evil. Partiality misplaces value and partiality breaks God's law. We're going to look at how James unpacks that for us. So first of all, partiality is evil. At the end of verse 4 there, he says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves, you've been partial, and become judges with evil thoughts? Now a judge is a person, in a sense, who is elevated. He's elevated to make decisions about something. And, and a good judge is a judge who's impartial. He, he's not swayed by anything but the facts. He's looking at the facts, and then in his integrity, he's going to make a decision. A bad or evil or corrupt judge is one who has ulterior motives. And although the facts are presented to him, there may be something in it for him personally to render a decision a certain way. Maybe he's been bribed. Maybe there's, uh, he has ownership in the situation that's undisclosed. Maybe he'll receive favors by deciding a certain way. Don't be that kind of judge, uh, James says. This is not right. It's evil. Don't be that kind of person. We need to ask ourselves, what's motivating uh, me when I'm partial to someone? What advantage am I looking for? In the Bible, it gives a clear picture of humanity that every human being has value Every human being is created in the image of God. God values them equally. And for those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, every one of them is then given a new status. It's all the same for every believer in Jesus Christ. They've, they're given a new status as son or daughter of the most high living God. They're equal before God, who's impartial that way towards them. We read in Galatians chapter 3, For as many of as you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Another way that scripture puts it is that we all become citizens of God's kingdom. And this is Canada Day weekend, and... When I think about our country, Canada, I think it's just we've got so much reason to celebrate. Not just the beauty of our country, but we live in a country where we are all declared by our citizenship to be equal. We all have the same privileges. We all have the same rights because we're citizens of Canada. There's no discrimination because of someone's race or wealth or social status. We are made to be equal and we celebrate a country where we're free that way. This is how God is. God grants equal rights, privileges, status to his, his children, his people, and he wants all people to enter into that place of being his sons and daughters. God called the nation, the Jews, to be a blessing to the world. And when Christ came and he, he began his church and it began among the Jews, it was hard for them to see that this, this faith was to break beyond their Jewishness and was to be, a, to be declared to the world around them. And so God had to give a vision to one of his key leaders, Peter, who sees in a dream where God tells him, basically, take this to the nations. Take this to the nations. And Peter writes in Acts chapter 10, he says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly understand that God shows no partiality. 
No partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. We reflect our God who is good when we value every person and we treat them not to gain something from them, but we treat them in a way that we're looking as to how we can give to them. We reflect our good and gracious God who is impartial when we take the good that he has, the message of Jesus Christ, and we bring it beyond ourselves into the world because God has called his gospel to go out to all the nations. We've been given privileges, rights that are equal before God. Partiality, James says, is evil. Those are James' words, not mine. We shouldn't exhibit partiality in our community of faith. But when we do, James says, secondly, partiality misplaces value. Verse 5 of James chapter 2. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So in the first century, as the Christian faith began to spread, it was mostly the poor and the ordinary, the commoner, who embraced faith in Jesus Christ. See, to, to embrace the lordship of Jesus, you have to admit your need and you have to surrender your life. And this becomes more of a problem when you think you have so much to surrender and you don't see that Jesus is worth so much more than you own and possess. Now, we do know that there are a number of wealthy people that did commit their lives to Christ. We, we see in the, in the Gospels, Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy person. We see Zacchaeus, who was a rich tax collector, you know, declare his allegiance to Jesus. And we see in the, in the New Testament, as the church begins to spread, Lydia, who was an entrepreneur, and we see also Priscilla and Aquila were also entrepreneurs. So there, there were people who, were, who had means and social mobility. But by and large, it was the commoner, it was the poor who embraced Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says to them that there were not many, you see, they're not, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful not many were of noble birth. By and large, it was the poor and the common. Now, I have traveled to uh, a number of countries in this beautiful world of ours and uh, countries where their standard of living is far below what we experience here in Canada. El Salvador, Costa Rica, Thailand, uh, Mexico, where our young adults or a group of our young adults are right now serving with the La Cantera Church in Guadalajara. And it is amazing as you spend time with these people and, and the brothers and sisters in Christ in the church and you spend time with them and you see, you know, as you go to their homes and you eat their meals and you sleep in their beds and, and you see the little that they have and then you see the richness of their faith, the joy that they have, the trust the depth of faith that they have in the Lord Jesus. They are truly rich, and they know it, and they have great faith. This is what James is getting at. He says, when you value someone who has 
in his, the examples that, that he's used, when you value someone who is wealthy and have, who has social mobility because you stand to gain something from them, you've misplaced what's really important because that's all superficial. What's really important is faith in Jesus Christ. We need to value that. And where do you find it so often? You find it in those that really have to trust God for their everyday existence. You find it in the common You find it in the poor. Partiality is evil. Partiality misplaces value. Thirdly, James says, partiality breaks God's law. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Jesus in the, in, the, in the Gospels is quoted as saying that the, the summation of the Old Testament law is found in two commandments in the Old Testament law. First of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second, he said, is like unto it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the royal law, if you will. This is the the. the capsulization of all that exists of God telling his people how to behave in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus and proclaimed in Jesus to love God with all that we are but then also to love our neighbor as ourself and and the people that James is writing to maybe had never thought of it and maybe we have not thought of it either but to be partial to, to raise someone up and then devalue another person is the breaking of that law to love your neighbor as yourself because in in loving or in elevating someone, you have unloved someone else. You've broken that law. James says, but if you show, verse 9, partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law's transgressors. This This is not right. You're committing sin. You know, so often when we think of committing sin against God or breaking his law, we, think, we do think of things like, uh, you know, adultery or murder or lying or cheating or stealing. I've never thought of partiality as of breaking God's law. But James says it's right up there with it. He says, for, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. But if you do not, commi- if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. What is he saying? To break one part of the law is to break the whole thing. So, you know, someone may say, hey, this guy's a great guy. He is so faithful to his wife. You know, he t- looks after his kids. He, he's there always for them. He takes his kids out on, on uh, excursions all the time. He dates his wife. He treats her well. He provides for his family. I know he's killed a few people, but he's a good family man. We would go, well, huh? That's not, that's, that's, he's still a lawbreaker. And James is lumping in partiality with these things that we would would react more strongly to. Don't show partiality, he says. You're breaking God's law. One of the things I love about James is that he's right to the point. Um, There's no fuzziness with James. He's very clear. Partiality is evil. Partiality, you're misplacing values. Partiality, you're breaking God's law. And so when he gives a prescription as how do we respond to this, he's really clear. So speak and so act, he says. 
In other words, speak with honorable words. Speak with honorable actions. And from the context of what he's saying, do so not to just those you like, not to the, just those that you stand to gain advantage from. Do that to all people. Everybody you have opportunity to do so to. Speak to them with honor. They are created in God's image. Act towards them with honor. Those who are sons and daughters in Jesus Christ stand equally as you do before the living Savior. Speak honorable, act honorably to all people. In Zechariah, it talks about uh, those, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. Zechariah is saying, you know, it, it's easy to, to be good, to be kind, to be honorable to those that are, are favorable uh, in, in your sight. Don't forget those that would be less, the less favorable in society, that may be devalued in society the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor. Don't be that way. And James is saying the same thing. So speak and so act with honor and dignity to all people. There's more. He says, so speak and so act as though who are judged to be under the law of liberty. So speak, so act to all people as those who have received Mercy. As I talk about not being partial to one another, no doubt you, you can think of situations or instances where you have been partial. I know I have as I've studied this week. Like I've been a lawbreaker. There's been, there's been situations in my life where I know that I, not, maybe not purposely, but I did devalue someone in order to value someone else. I've broken this law. I'm a lawbreaker. And I'm in need of mercy because that's what laws are for, so that you obey them. And when you don't obey them, there is a judgment. And, and the scripture here says those who don't give mercy won't receive mercy in the judgment. I, I need mercy. And this is where the gospel, this is where the good news of Jesus Christ comes in. This is where the law of liberty comes in. Because the judgment that I should get, the judgment that I deserve, we know from Scripture has been taken upon someone else. It's been taken on by Jesus. It's the reason that he came. The reason that he died was to take care of our separation from God and take upon himself the judgment we deserve so we wouldn't have to experience it. His mercy triumphs over judgment. And in Christ, I stand before God as one forgiven and one who is free. Paul echoes this in Galatians chapter 5. He said, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't think that you can tabulate, I've done this, I've done this, and I've done this, but I haven't done these things, but the good that I've done outweighs the bad. No, if you've done something bad, if you've broken the law in some area, such as partiality, you've broken the whole law, and you need mercy. And that mercy has come, that mercy has come through the person of Jesus Christ. And it's his law that is a law of liberty 
because I stand free from condemnation before God. I stand free of any judgment before God. And so I need to reflect the God who has been merciful to me and not stand over and above someone as a judge, but stand as God has been towards me with arms full of mercy extended to others. As God has been merciful to me, so I am to others, valuing, honoring all people. So I'm at a restaurant with with people that I know, and um, on this particular day, we get really lousy service. Have you ever had a day like that? You know, you're at a restaurant, you go, what? Like, what's wrong with our server? Really lousy service. The food was all right, but the service was horrible. And I'm with these uh, people, and, uh, you know, you're ready to pay the bill. And then what are you thinking about tip? You're thinking, I'm not tipping. I need to teach the server a lesson, right? Don't we need to do that? When they don't give a service, I mean, we don't want to reward bad service, so we need to teach them a lesson. I'm not going to tip. I said, no, let's, let's do something different here. How about we really tip? Because why? Because that's mercy. As I reflect on all the ways that God hasn't judged me in the way that I've deserved, but I've received mercy and it's triumphed over judgment, so I want to be merciful. I don't want to stand in judgment over someone else, but I want to be merciful. I want to speak and I want to act as one who has been a participant in the law of liberty. This is what James is after for us. This is his correction for us and the way forward. We live in an age of tribalism. We have moved towards people segregating themselves according to opinions and then devaluing one another, calling one another out, saying hurtful things about one another. The church, the community of faith that have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is called to be a counterculture. It is destined, it is purposed to be the kind of place where people gather from all strata of of the social economic scale, all races, one of the things I love about this church, all ages, abilities, race. The church is destined to be like that, a melting pot, a mosaic, where people are united in love towards God and towards one another, not Elevating some and devaluing others, but all are honored, all are appreciated because all know they're created in the image of God. They've been given status as sons and daughters of Christ in his kingdom. They've received mercy, and so they extend mercy to one another. My brothers, James says, my sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord of glory, love your neighbor as yourself. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning we are so privileged, Lord, to be here in this place, in this church, in this city, in this country. We thank you, Lord, for the rights and privileges and freedoms that we have in our nation. We pray, Lord, that you would bless it and bless our political leaders. I think of Justin Trudeau and I think of uh, 
Premier Horgan. I think of our Mayor Braun. Lord, would you bless them? We're grateful, Lord, for this place and these people. Lord, at the same time, God, we want to say we are most grateful for your kingdom, that we're part of your nation, Lord, of called out sons and daughters from all national, from all human races, Lord, and human economic status and abilities and all those things that you've called us together, Lord, before you as recipients of your mercy and grace. Lord, I pray that your truth, your gospel, Lord, would inform us and set us free from that subtle sin, Lord, of partiality, that we might honor people, we might honor one another, and we might, Lord, get out of our circles of comfort, Lord, and share the good news of Jesus Christ with whomever you put in front of us. We ask this for your name and for your glory. Amen.